Welcome to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, where you'll find the unique, the bizarre, and sometimes the haunted. Feel free to look around, peruse the items, and never fear. There's nothing here that bites. Hard, anyway. <laughs> Hello there. How pleased I am to see you've returned once again to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. I am your shopkeeper, Chris Baker, and today we have quite the item. This is a piece from my very own childhood. If you'll take a look over here in our vintage toy collection, uh, this piece right here is of particular importance. Uh, this is a toy semi-truck. Uh, modeled after the 1984 Freightliner FL86. The main truck is uh, primarily of red and blue color. The trailer, uh, metallic gray. And those who have seen this particular piece or had this in their own personal collection at one point or another uh, knows that this semi-truck is more than meets the eye. And therein lies the heart of today's episode of Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. So let's pull out the kinetoscope and take a look at the new film, Transformers Rise of the Beasts. So Transformers Rise of the Beast came out this past weekend, the latest in a list of live-action Transformers adaptations, which, uh, for my money, I I've enjoyed, but... They've always left me wanting. I really enjoyed the first one, the Transformers that came out in 2007. I enjoyed it, although it, again, it wasn't what I was looking for. They they redesigned Optimus Prime, all of the other Transformers, even Bumblebee was redesigned as far as the look of the robot, the look of the vehicles that they transformed into. Even the Spike character and his father, uh, Spike and Sparkplug, were changed into Sam, and I don't even remember what the father's name was. They did use the last name Witwicky, which is from the cartoons, but... Uh, I it was one of those where I enjoyed it, finally getting to see Transformers live action on the big screen, but again, it just left me wanting. Revenge of the Fallen, Dark of the Moon, Age of Extinction, uh, a lot of the same. Even last night, probably uh, one of the ones that I just enjoyed the least of the, the Michael Bay-helmed Transformer uh, movies. They just continually just left me wanting, and... Again, it was Transformers, it was live action, but it, there really wasn't a love for the source material and the source characters and, and the toys that then the cartoon that these characters are based off of. And it never felt like I got the Transformers movie I wanted. And then come along 2018, they did the Travis Knight Bumblebee spinoff where they kind of go back to the 80s, back when the Transformers were the thing. That's the, the era of the, the toys and the cartoons. Uh, so they took it back to the 80s. Bumblebee was a VW bug. And I'm like, this is this is what I want. Starscream was that, that silver jet. And this is the Transformers movie that I wanted. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't get a ton of the Transformers. We got Starscream, we got Bumblebee, and then we got some some other Transformers, the bad guys in that. I can't even remember which ones they were, but it, it wasn't any of the first season uh, or even the even the series uh, of Transformers on television, the animated series. It wasn't even uh, any Transformers from that, if I'm not mistaken. Or if it was, it was, it was again, kind of like the other five Transformer movies. It was a bastardized version of another Transformer. But at least you got to see some of the Transformers, how they were supposed to be. Bumblebee and Starscream. And, and even Optimus Prime, when he showed up later in the movie, was that 1984 Freightliner semi-truck. Uh, that, that we knew and loved and played with as a kid and saw on the animated series. So I was really excited to see that this next movie, Rise of the Beast, was going to be a continuation, a not a direct sequel to the Bumblebee movie, but instead of taking place in the 80s, it was going to take place in the 90s, which when I found out that it was going to be about the Beast Wars series, sort of, I thought that made sense because Beast Wars and the Predacons and the Maximals, that came out in the 90s. So it made sense that they were, they were setting this in the 90s, 
because they're going to be featuring some of those 90s characters. And I tried not to watch too many trailers for this. You know, I think I saw the initial trailer and then I tried to kind of stay back because I didn't want my expectations. They were already high given how much I enjoyed the Bumblebee movie. So I didn't want my expectations to get too high and then have them be dashed because they go back to some of the some of the stuff they did with the Michael Bay Transformer movies that, that I didn't enjoy. And after watching it, it's kind of a mixed bag of tricks. It's a it's a mixture of both. There was a lot of things I really enjoyed about this movie. And I think ultimately, when it's all said and done at the end of the movie, I was like, oh, that was pretty good. There were a lot of things I liked, and we'll talk about those things. There were a lot of things I didn't really care for, and it really felt like they kind of went back, took a step backwards in the making of the Transformer movies that I want to see. And, and we'll talk about that as well. But before we get into any spoiler territory in that, uh, I'll give you a quick rundown of kind of the basic premise of this movie. And it's very simple. That's one of the things I did enjoy about this movie is that it was a very simple premise. You you have a an opening sequence that features the Maximals. And I thought that was a really great opener because you're introducing these characters that we've not been introduced to on the big screen. Unless you watch that 90s uh, animated series uh the beast wars series which 90s and it was a completely computer generated animated series and back then in the 90s uh computer animation was very rudimentary i was a little older at that time when when beast wars came out i was probably out of high school i believe in, in my early 20s uh but i love transformers so i would check it out from time to time uh, my younger brother was still young enough that uh, he would have been into that so i'd watch it with him and even for the 90s i'm like oh this this cg animation is pretty shitty but, you know, at the time, you know, it was a pretty big deal having a, a completely computer animated uh, series. And, and you really got an interesting story with the Beast Wars. Uh, not that I watched the whole thing. There's probably a lot of episodes I missed. But the story that I did get to see uh, was an interesting enough story. And it was an interesting plays off the, uh, the Transformers characters having, instead of Optimus Prime, you have Optimus Primal. And she's named after Optimus. And it, it, it was all very interesting even though the the computer animation sucked but the opening for rise of the beast was really cool because it really introduced you to a lot of those maximal characters cheetor air razor uh rhinox uh you know optimus primal and how the not the matrix of leadership but the mantle of leadership if you will was passed from another character that was an ape they called him ape link i i honestly don't know that character if that was actually uh, a part of the beast wars series or even referenced in it from what i understand it was a made-up character for this this movie but there again i i'm gonna have to plead a little bit of ignorance on that part i'm not 100 sure but we see uh, optimus primal become the leader of the maximals and it is a situation where not only introducing the maximals at this time but they're also introducing unicron and he is the big bad guy in this it, so to speak i mean he's the big bad guy but it's only in in theory Pretty much. Uh, there's the threat of Unicron, but we don't even really get any real action from Unicron until, until the very end of the movie. But his minions act as a surrogate for him as the big bad guy, uh, to which we're introduced to Scourge, Battletrap, and Nightbird. And I was a little disappointed that they referred to this, this trio of bad guys. They're not even really Decepticons, but they're bad guys. Uh, they referred to them as the Terrorcons. And, you know, anybody who knows the toys, knows the original uh, Transformers animated series, knows that the Terrorcons are a group of robots, uh, combiners that are based on creatures. And not Scourge and not Nightbird and not this other... I, I just, I was a little disappointed in that. But they're representing Unicron as the big bad of this movie. And Unicron is trying to get this transwarp key to be able to essentially warp to whatever, wherever he wants to go in the galaxy and and eat planets. But the Maximals escape with it and, and head to Earth. 
and they break it into two pieces and hide them. The Autobots find out about this key and realize it's a way for them to get home to Cybertron because they've been trapped on Earth. The minions of Unicron find out that it's on Earth and they are trying to get it so Unicron can use the key to dominate the galaxy or the universe, whatever you have. And ultimately, I I did enjoy this movie. Like I said, there were a lot of things that I didn't care for and we'll talk about those a little bit in depth. Some things that I really did enjoy about this. Uh, liked it even better than the Michael Bay stuff. Uh, we'll get into that as well, but I can't do that without getting really spoilery. So if you haven't watched Transformers Rise of the Beast, uh, I suggest you go watch it and then come back and listen to the podcast and see what I think about it and see you know, how it compares to what you thought about this movie. But I can't talk about this movie without free reign to really just talk about it. And so there are going to be spoilers. So from here on out, you have been warned spoilers are ahead so we're going to talk about this movie i don't really think i'm not going to go you know beat by beat and scene by scene and talk about everything but we're going to talk about some of the bigger things of the movie we're going to talk about some of the characters uh the human characters and the transformer characters and what i thought of them we're going to talk about uh some of the story elements that i thought worked and didn't work with this and you know the effects and things like that how it compares to the michael bay stuff so let's start off with talking about the the human characters because that was one thing that I knew they were going to do. They always have like some human element and I think you have to have some sort of human element. Even the cartoons had Spike and his dad, uh, Chip, Carly, you know, they always had human elements in the show. Uh, because you have to have some representation of humanity because Transformers has always been about uh, the Autobots working with the humans to, to protect Earth because, you know, Earth is the home of humans and the Autobots have kind of made it their surrogate home. So they want to protect it just as much as humans do. And, and so you have to have some human element. I think where we've had some problems in the past is that there's been too much focus in Transformer movies about the human element. And one of the things I thought they did better than the Michael Bay stuff is that they made this series or this movie not as human focused as some of the other movies. Uh, you do get a, a good bit of focus on the Transformers and their personalities and characters, not as much as I wanted. But, but you still get a little more of that, and, and you still get some of the human interactions, but they don't focus on that as much as they did in a lot of the Michael Bay stuff. So that was a, a step in the right direction. Still wasn't perfect, but I think they're starting to get an idea. Uh, you know, I think in Bumblebee, where, yeah, there was a lot of focus on the humans, but the the focus was on the main character and Bumblebee, you know, hand in hand. So the story was always about, uh, and I think that's probably one of the luxuries you have of doing a movie essentially just about one Autobot, is that you can make it a 50-50 split because almost every scene is an interaction between the, the human and and the Autobot. And and this, you have more Autobots in play. I wish there could have been more time spent on developing their characters, but you did have to have the humans in there. And I thought it was a better split between human and Autobot, uh, human and robot, than than some of the Michael Bay stuff. But I did like the the humans. Uh, the characters, I thought, were, were interesting enough. Not anything spectacular. I thought the actors were really good. Uh, the main character, Noah Diaz, he is an ex-military expert in electronics, and he's back home with his family. His younger brother, Chris, is, is sick, and his mom is you know trying to make ends meet, working hard, trying to, to pay the bills on top of all the medical bills for Chris. So you know he's doing what he can to try and help the family, and just never seems to be able to catch a break. Noah's played by Anthony Ramos. I'm not terribly familiar with his work. I know he had a part in Godzilla King of the Monsters but uh, but other than that not a ton of things that I've seen I mean he was in a uh, part in A Star is Born my wife would probably recognize him from Hamilton but other than that not a ton of things that I've seen him in but I really did enjoy his performance he he really had a, a good energy about him a fun energy about him when it came to the action and and I really liked that they gave him a lot more to do he 
he had a lot more agency in the action when it came to the climax of this movie than than any other of the lead human characters in movies past and we'll, we'll talk about that uh, coming up shortly but but you also not only did you have that you know he, he was fun uh, quick-witted you felt the heart you felt the compassion and and love for his younger brother and just wanting to do uh, what he can to help his kid brother to help his mom you know they're middle class maybe even lower middle class family and he's doing everything he can to help take the burden off his mother and and make his help his brother get better and you really got that you really felt that in the performance of anthony ramos my only real complaint is in the writing of this character because this is a character we've seen a hundred times before and this this character is probably as cliche as they come uh middle class lower middle class uh kid or, or, or young adult and he's just trying to make ends meet trying to help his family trying to help a sick brother very cheap emotion right there you have somebody that's trying to help their mother or help a, a sick sibling or a sick family member you're obviously gonna feel sympathy towards this character so it's as they say in wrestling uh, cheap pop but as much as that is a cliche and I think a, a shortcoming in the writing of this movie. They could have made this character a little more interesting, a little more complex. That doesn't take away from the performance of Anthony Ramos, who I, I think did a really good job with this, this character and brought some life into it. And I do want to say a, a quick word about the actress that plays his mother. She's played by Lauren Velez, who I, I love her as an actress. Uh, of course, I uh, remember her back in Oz, uh, played Dr. Gloria Nathan, uh, loved her there. Was a huge fan of her in Dexter. She played Maria LaGuerta. She's just done a ton of, of TV over the years in you know some of the some of the big shows that that have been out. She's also in Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Uh, she played Rio Morales and uh, she did that in uh, Into the Spider-Verse and Across the Spider-Verse that just came out here recently. I haven't had a chance to see that. I want to see it and maybe we'll get a chance to talk about that on Random Curiosity if we don't do a, a full-blown show. I, I try to save the full-blown shows for the stuff that I've seen that has just come out or come out uh, recently. I haven't seen it yet. I don't know if I'm going to uh, see it soon enough to to be able to do that, but we are going to talk about it on the show one way or the other as soon as I get a chance to see uh, Across the Spider-Verse, but uh, looking forward to seeing her reprise her role as Rio Morales in that. But wonderful actress. She doesn't get a lot of screen time as Noah's mother, but, uh, but I really enjoyed uh, seeing her on the screen. And also uh, young actor Dean Scott Vasquez, who plays uh, Chris. Uh, he is Noah's younger brother. He's sick. Uh, he has like a sickle cell disease. And I really would have liked to have seen more of him. I would have liked to have seen more of his relationship with Noah. I, I almost, you know, I've heard some other commenters talking about this. And, and I have to agree that I almost wish it could have been him and Noah off on this adventure. The brother relationship would have been at least an established relationship that made sense. And you didn't have any question about the... Noah character and the Elena character, who we're going to talk about here in a second, uh, they have them off on this adventure, but you don't really know if it's a platonic relationship, a budding romance. I don't think they knew what to do with this relationship or, or where to take it. So it just seemed kind of like two people along for the ride. Now that's not to say that the performance wasn't done very well. Dominique Fishback is the uh, actress who plays uh, Elena Wallace and she is an artifact researcher and an intern at a museum. And her character primarily is there to be the brains of the operation. Uh, she knows a lot about uh, ancient artifacts and language, and she's very smart, but she's stuck in this intern role. Her boss is taking credit for her ideas and her knowledge. And, and that's one of the aspects of the beginning of this movie that just felt out of place at the beginning of this. What's supposed to be a fun movie about giant robots that transform into cars and hang out with humans. But instead, it seemed uh, for, for a stretch of this movie, a short stretch at the beginning, they were trying to go for a white people bad, capitalism bad vibe. Uh, there was also a really 
awkward joke later when the Noah character is speaking to uh, uh, one of the Autobots, and we'll we'll talk about that particular Autobot later. But that particular Autobot is speaking with a Hispanic accent, and he tries to speak Spanish. And there's this whole racism commentary uh, between the two of them that just felt awkward and forced. And there, there again, that's I, I hate when filmmakers try to force their their social views or some sort of social commentary that they're trying to make into something that it, it just doesn't fit, or, or at least the way it's done doesn't fit. I mean, you can do that sort of thing deftly, but this wasn't handled deftly at all. But all that being said, I, I really did enjoy all of the the human actors in this. Uh, Anthony Ramos, Dominique Fishback, there were couple other minor characters that i'm not going to really go into but uh, but i enjoyed all of their performances especially anthony ramos and dominique fishback uh, i thought did did fantastic jobs with with what they were given in this movie so now we're going to talk about some of the transformers and the voice actors who played these characters what i thought about the the characters themselves and the the actors of course uh the incomparable peter cullen reprised his role as optimus prime peter cullen always does a great job but this is the first time uh, peter cullen really starting to sound his age in a lot of the other Transformers movies, the, the Michael Bay ones, uh, even the Bumblebee movie, Peter Cullen really still had that strong voice. This is this is the first time he's really starting to sound old. Now, the guy's 81 years old or, or right around there. And so if he sounds old, he has every right to sound old because, you know, he's been around quite a while and doesn't have the, the strong voice that he, he once had. You know, a lot of voice actors uh, go through that same thing, but this is the first one where I really kind of felt like Optimus Prime, uh, Peter Cullen, starting to sound his age. And and I almost wonder at some point they make a deal kind of like they did with James Earl Jones, how they can use his voice and recreate it through digital technology for future Star Wars because he's, he's retiring. I wonder if they might do that with Peter Cullen to be able to use his voice as Optimus Prime uh, even long after he's gone. I, I'd be interested to see how they, they handled that. But, you know, he does such a great job with this. I was a little disappointed in the... I mean, they still based the truck off of the, uh, you know, the toys based off an 84 Freightliner uh, in Bumblebee and this, they based it off an 87 Freightliner semi-truck, uh, but they they tinkered with the design on the truck a little bit. They had some weird chrome visor on the top and they did a weird thing with the paint scheme up the side. I just, uh, the, the smokestacks were, were bent a little bit. I just didn't like it. It just didn't feel like classic Optimus Prime to me, like they they kind of did at the end of Bumblebee, which looked, you know, I was like, oh, when when Bumblebee is rolling down that uh, across the bridge with that that semi truck, and you know that's Optimus Prime, even though Bumblebee's a Camaro at this point, uh, you, you know, I'm like, that's Optimus Prime. That's the Optimus Prime I want to see, and they they can't help but tinker with shit like that. And it was just like, ah, that's that's not the Optimus I wanted to see, but it's still Optimus Prime. They did this movie, and I, I saw some quotes from the director, Stephen Cable Jr., where he said how, uh, you know, they're not disavowing what happened in Bumblebee. They even make a reference to that uh, movie, but this could stand on its own two feet. This could be a standalone movie, and you don't really need to know much more about what happens later or what happened prior with this story. But Optimus Prime, at this stage in the game, they're trapped on Earth, and he doesn't have that love for humans like Bumblebee does because he, he spent time with a human in the Bumblebee movie and an optimus is very distrusting of humans not antagonistic towards humans but he doesn't want to have anything to do with humans and i don't know if i like this version of optimus prime optimus prime has always been noble he's always been one to look after lesser races less civilized races and less civilized people and in societies and and that's kind of what humanity is but he also sees that while they may not be as technologically advanced as the autobots and the cybertronians that humans have a you know that human spirit that he uh, attached to and when you have an optimus prime that doesn't 
give a shit about that sort of stuff. It just doesn't feel like Optimus Prime. So we'll take a quick look at the rest of the Autobots. Uh, of course, Bumblebee's in this. They still do that thing where he talks through the radio and movie sound bites that he's picked up watching, you know, drive-in movies and things like that, audio that he's recorded. Uh, enough with that. Uh, I really wish they would give him a voice actor. I mean, I personally would love if they got uh, Dan Gilvezan, uh, who did the original voice for Bumblebee in the in the eighties cartoon. I would love it if they brought him back and kind of like Peter Cullen with Optimus Prime brought him back for Bumblebee. But they still insist on doing that whole speaking with you know the radio and clips. And there was one part where it actually kind of worked, where Bumblebee. He gets killed, and they do that thing where he gets killed, but you know he's not going to die because, one, you've seen him in the, the finale, you've seen him in the climax in the trailer, and two, they keep carrying his dead body around so you know that somehow he's going to be brought back to life and he is going to make the the, the return. I think they just did that so they could play LL Cool J. Mama said knock you out at the end. The whole don't call to come back. Uh, I, I think they did that just so they could play that 90s needle drop. But there was one point where he's making this comeback and he's turning the tide. They don't play the whole line from Rowdy Roddy Piper from They Live. The line is, I've come here to chew bubble gum and kick ass and I'm all out of bubble gum. And they just play, I've come here to kick ass. It's just like, ah, play the whole fucking clip. If you're going to do that, play it all. Because it would have played a lot funnier if if they played the whole thing. And uh, yeah, I know. And, and I guess maybe it's because how how is a robot going to chew bubble gum? I don't know why it would have been funnier. Just to me, when I, when I got that truncated version of that line, I was like, ah, oh, I wish they would have done the whole thing. But they have Bumblebee, Liza Koshy, voices RC, which, which I really like the design on the RC character, even though she's a, a motorcycle in this and in the cartoons and in the toys, she was like a more of a Cybertonian convertible. I still still like the design on this i i liked the the way the character looked the robot looked because they they designed the head just like rc from the cartoon which was which was cool and i and i thought liza koshi did a really good job voicing her the one character i thought they completely got wrong was mirage uh they have mirage he's a porsche in this and and of all the porsches in in transformers or or cars that even resemble porsches mirage was not one of them mirage was that formula 1 car and they they did kind of give you a nod to that where he's talking to noah saying that you know if noah helps them uh, he'll become a Lamborghini or a Ferrari when he turns into a Ferrari. It's the Formula One race car and that he can sell him and, and make money to, to get his uh, brother the, the care he needs. But they did a nod to that. But other than that, uh, it, there was nothing about this character that was like the character in the cartoon. Uh, Pete Davidson voiced him, and I am not a, a Pete Davidson fan. Uh, I don't think he's funny. He did an okay job with the acting, but I just didn't like this version of Mirage. Mirage has a particular uh, demeanor about him in the cartoons, and it's not all uh, jokes and being silly and quick quips and, and shit like that. Uh, so I, I really didn't care how they did the Mirage character because it was not even close to being the character for the comics. And I, I, I get it. Uh, it's going to be awkward seeing this Formula One car racing around the streets. But you could play off that because that was the whole thing with Transformers is that you have all these various types of cars running around and when they're trying to be uh, incognito and <laughs> there's, a, there's a race car, you could play off that. You could have got some real earned humor with that. In the, in the few scenes they had where these cars are in the streets of, of populated places, you could have done something with that. And instead they went the Michael Bay way of taking a character's name and just redoing the character to fit whatever you want to do with the story. I think the only thing they liked about Mirage is that Mirage could do the holograms. Oh no, Mar Mirage didn't even do holograms. Mirage could make himself invisible. <laughs> it was Hound that did the holograms. So they didn't even fucking get that right. 
Next, we'll talk about the Maximals real quick. Optimus Primal, voiced by Ron Perlman. Ron Perlman does a really good job with this. It's not even, I, like the voice he does for this, you don't even realize it's Ron Perlman unless you really listen, which I which I appreciate that. It didn't sound like, oh, and here's TV and films, so-and-so, voicing, whatever. Uh, it, it really felt like a character, and and I enjoyed the the character for what you got from him. They have the, the open with the maximals and then they come along at the end and are there for the big battle uh you don't get a ton with them they don't do a lot of character development with these with these characters i think optimus primal and air razor are the two that you really get to know something about optimus primal convinces optimus prime to give humans a chance uh because they're worth saving and kind of gives them that change of heart Michelle Yeoh voices Air Razor, and I, I thought she did a really good job with this character. And this of the Maximals, this is the one that gets the most screen time because we have uh, Air Razor in the story from the time that the uh, ter- quote-unquote Terracons show up at the museum and fight the Autobots for that, that piece of the transwarp key. But Michelle Yeoh does a really good job with this character because uh, when you're listening to it closely, you're like, oh yeah, that's Michelle Yeoh, but you really feel like this is a character unto itself again it doesn't feel like hey this is uh, film and tv's michelle yo playing air razor it really felt like a character and i think that to me is a big accomplishment when you have an actor or, or a voice actor either whether it's doing a live action physical uh, performance or a vocal performance when it's a well-known actor uh, an iconic actor that can put aside themselves enough to become the character and convince you that they are this character and not such and such actor playing this character. I think that's a great feat for an actor. And you had a, a lot of performances like that, uh, at least vocal performances in this uh, in this movie. I'm probably going to wreck this guy's name, but David Sobolov does the Maximal Rhinox. He also voices Battletrap and Ape Link. But there again, the, the Rhinox character is not developed very well. Cheetor voiced by, and I know I'm going to butcher this, but uh, Tongei Kirasa. You know, it's just a character that is there. Uh, you don't really get any development with this character, which is a shame because Cheetor was kind of a fan favorite uh, during the Beast Wars cartoon. You do get appearance from Wheeljack, played by Cristo Fernandez, and that's the that's the actor who's kind of doing this Hispanic accent, and they, they make the very uh, hard-to-follow and hard-to-rationalize joke about racism based on assuming somebody speaks a language if they've got an accent it was just very very heavy-handed and very badly placed and it was again a social commentary trying to to shoehorn that in like a fat guy into a medium t-shirt uh it just didn't work but uh I, this is probably the one autobot that i had the biggest problem with uh, what they did to it because wheeljack is a very iconic character from the toy line from the series the vehicle he transforms into is based on a 1976 Lancia Stratos uh, probably one of the the sweetest cars uh, that came out in, in the mid 70s it just had a, a sleek cool look about it and it's a huge huge fan favorite of car collectors I know Jay Leno has one in his uh, massive car collection but what did they do to Wheeljack and Wheeljack's supposed to be kind of like a, a scientist and uh, a mechanic wizard you know he built the Dinobots uh, that kind of guy and, and what did they do to Wheeljack they turned him into a 1970s VW panel bus I don't, I, as soon as I saw that I'm like what the fuck is this and it's kind of a brownish pink and cream colored. It just, it looked horrible. And then when he transformed, uh, you know, he looked like he had these big goggle glasses on his face. I'm like, this is, this is stupid. Uh, I, I was so pissed off. I, I didn't care who voiced him. I was just pissed off at what they did with this character. Looked nothing like the vehicle he transformed into. Looked nothing like the character. Uh, his personality was nothing like what the personality of Wheeljack was in the cartoons. It just, it was, it, again, this is the shit that Michael Bay did. Took a character, I like the name, and I'm just going to use that name and throw it on this Transformer that I want to make because it suits what I want to say in this story. And it just, it, it was fucking bad. 
Uh, one of the one of the things I really hated about this. Now we're gonna get to the bad guys. Of course, Unicron, voiced by Coleman Domingo, uh, did a really good job. It was very cool. Uh, you know, this planet-sized Transformer. Uh, not a ton of scenes, but he did that kind of deep voice. It wasn't quite Orson Welles from the Transformers movie, but but I you know it was it was cool. Scourge was the big bad guy for this, and there were things I liked about Scourge. Uh, there were things I hated about this. Uh, one, he just, he is just there out of the blue. Um, you know, he's not created like, like Unicron created Scourge from, from one of the Insecticons or Skywarp or Thundercracker, whichever one I can't remember from the, from the movie who became who, but, uh, you didn't have that sort of origin for the character. They did treat him as a hunter. Uh, and that's what Scourge was in the cartoon, in the Transformers movie, Scourge the Hunter and his sweeps. So you had that hunter quality about him. The creature design was really cool. Uh, I didn't like that he transformed into a big, you know, Peterbilt semi-truck. Uh, it just felt like that could have been that could have been one of the stunticons or, or, or something like that. I, I, I didn't care for that. But the robot version of Scourge looked good. The uh, personality was really good. I enjoyed that. And Peter Dinklage voiced him. I thought he did a really good job. You got a lot of menace and you got a lot of power out of this character. This character felt like a villain, a nemesis that was worthy of a big final battle with Optimus Prime. And, and I thought uh, everything about the character looked good as far as the robot. I just didn't like how they transformed him, uh, what he transformed into. And I, I didn't like that it didn't really have the origin story for the character that I wanted. And he's not a fucking Terracon. And they kept saying that he is part of the Terracons with Battle Trap. Uh, Transformer I'm not familiar with I, I think maybe made up for this I, I'm not I can't remember specifically and Nightbird uh, voiced by Michaela Rodriguez who uh, I, I liked the I like the character the character in the cartoons wasn't so much a Transformer I don't remember her transforming she was just a robot and in this they kind of changed it she did have the like the the ninja swords because she was a ninja robot in the cartoons but she transforms into a car in this again not a terracon uh so the fact that they just you know took this name terracons and oh that sounds scary we'll just slap it on this group of three transformers and call it a day just it's fucking lazy you know for me I want some continuity with the original story, the original characters. And and this it was just kind of flew in the face of all that. Then, of course, John DiMaggio did uh, Stratosphere, which is a big like transport uh, plane. I think it's a, it's a made-up character from one of the Michael Bay movies, uh, which I, I didn't really care for the portrayal of this. I, not, the, not that the actor did a bad job, I just hate the, the character. Just kind of generic Michael Bay. Hey, I'm just going to start making up Transformers because there's nobody that uh, fits what I want for this scene. Uh, and I'm not even going to try looking for, for an Autobot or a Decepticon to fill that role that would actually be a part of canon. But yeah, that's, those are the main characters. And uh, for the most part, this this film acts like a fetch quest. You know, they, they get the one half of the uh, trans warp key at the museum that Elena works at. And then they find that the other one is down in Peru. And, and they're going to look for it and, and find it. And it's very... Uh, <laughs> they, even, they even make the Indiana Jones reference. It's very Indiana Jones and searching for lost artifacts and ancient ruins. You do get a lot of, of scenes with the Autobots where you're at least Optimus Prime and Mirage. And you're getting some character development there. Even though I didn't care for the character that they gave Mirage, uh, it, it was at least interesting, his relationship with Noah. I don't know if that earned the the scene we had at the very end with the climax, uh, but but it was nice to, to see their relationship. And then, of course, you have that big battle, and they had a lot of really good battles uh, in this, the, the battle with the museum, uh, you know, battles, you know, trying to, to get the final piece of the trans uh, warp key. And then that big final battle where, uh, you know, the Decepticons get both halves of the key. They're starting to open up this portal for Unicron to come through and destroy Earth. Uh, you felt a lot of menace in that moment. But up until that moment, 
all you really felt was like this. Well, there's this Unicron. He's going to come to Earth, but uh, there's no. It's like there's no timetable. There's no real eminence to the danger that they're about to face, which kind of felt a little lackluster at times. But you have this big final battle where you have the quote-unquote Terracons uh, taking on the Autobots and the Maximals. And then, of course, Unicron comes in and all of these uh, these robot scorpions. I think they're, I think, kind of based off, wasn't there a scorpion in the, the Predacons during the Beast Wars series? Uh, it's kind of a, a play off of that, only there's a shit ton of them. So uh, you get this big battle. And I think that's one of the things I did like about this movie compared to the Michael Bay stuff is the action in the Michael Bay stuff was very muddled. Everything, just all the characters just seemed to kind of seem to blend together. And it just seemed a mishmash, at least in this. I could tell, okay, this is RC taking on this character. Or this is Mirage fighting, uh, you know, Nightbird. Or, or, you know, you could tell characters. The action wasn't so fast and quick cut and muddled that I couldn't tell who was fighting who or where they were. They did a really good job with isolating characters, making sure that you can tell, okay, this character's fighting that character. This character's taking on a bunch of the Scorpion things. And they did a, a good job with the CG in creating fight scenes that, one, were really interesting and action-packed, but also were very much a, a scene that I can distinguish who's fighting who and where we are in this choreography of, of the big battle. They did have a really cool scene where Mirage is being attacked by Scourge and protecting Noah. And as he's about to die, he essentially gives Noah his parts to create this like exosuit, uh, which was very much reminiscent of the exosuits that like Daniel and Spike wore in the Transformers movie. And then I think they used them later on in season three of the Transformers animated series. But it looked really cool. And it actually allowed the human in the story to get involved in the big fight, which we've never, I mean, we've gotten shades of that in, in some of the other movies and the Michael Bay movies. But for the most part, when the, the Transformers are fighting, uh, the humans are sidelined or they're, they're relegated to damsel in distress mode, whereas this allowed the human in the story to be active and have some agency in the bigger battle of this this final climactic battle of the scene, which I thought that was really cool, and I think that was a really smart idea. Uh, they they sacrificed this Autobot to to give this human these uh, this one protection and the firepower to take on in the cartoon. He's a Decepticon, and this is so I don't. I don't want to get back into that, but uh, take on Scourge and some of the other big bad guys in this movie. I, I like that. That was that was a cool twist on things that uh, that comes from the the animated series, but it's something we've never really got to see in the live action uh, arena for for Transformers and the humans inside Transformers. So that was really cool to see that. And then of course that big battle between Optimus Prime and Scourge at the end uh, just was really cool. Optimus Prime being badass. I like how earlier he said he was going to rip Scourge's head off and he if anything, can never be said to be a liar. Optimus Prime always tells the truth, and he indeed rips Scourge's head off, which kind of sucks because there again, another really cool bad guy that is is dead. Of course, there's one thing about this big climax that really bothered me, and it's kind of emblematic of this whole character, was the Elena character, uh, played by Dominique Fishback, who, like I said, I, I like her. I think she does a really good job. I just think the writers didn't know what to do with this character. They used her as a story plot device uh, to to move the story forward. She was essentially a MacGuffin in this story because she knew about ancient languages and artifacts and she could kind of put two and two together as to where it was essentially she was there to get them to Peru and they tried to give her some agency in the end of the movie and make it so she knows the code to stop the time warp key and and she does that but 
her efforts are for nothing because the control panel gets destroyed. So it's like they didn't have anything for her to do in this climax. So, well, we'll create a scenario where uh, we're going to pretend like she's going to save the day, but she's not because we ultimately want Prime to pretend to sacrifice himself. I mean, Prime thinks he's sacrificing himself, but they're not going to destroy Prime because, uh, well, we've seen that before, Prime dying in multiple uh, movie iterations, but uh, they were never going to kill off Prime. So it just, uh, I think probably one of the biggest problems with this movie is in the writing and the storytelling within the writing i just don't think they knew what to do with some of these characters or do with some of these storylines and as a result you got a lot of a lot of elements of this story that felt kind of half-assed but optimus prime and true noble prime fashion sets out to uh, sacrifice himself to save the world and of course he ends up uh, being saved by noah and optimus primal in trying to sacrifice himself he destroys the time warp key and that sends unicron back to wherever unicron came from never to be heard from again but maybe but uh, we'll have to see in the next movie but yeah, this whole time the the Autobots were wanting this key to be able to, to go home and they realize that they have a home and are staying on Earth. Now, I, I don't know how that jibes with with how the events of the Michael Bay Transformers later because I can't remember if the Autobots were already here on Earth or they showed up later. I think they showed up later, but... But there again, it's been a while since I've watched those movies, so I would have to. But I, I would almost, I would almost relish the idea that they just start from scratch and and forget about the Michael Bay ones. And to be honest, I would wouldn't mind if they forgot about this one too and just started this whole series over from scratch because I think there's still a lot of missteps going on with this series. Well, I, I did enjoy this movie for the most part. Uh, Stephen Cable Jr. did a really good job with it. The screenwriting was, uh, it was okay. The story was okay. At least it was simple enough that uh, it didn't get too complex with lore and history of Autobots and and all that jazz that you got with some of the Michael Bay things. But Jesus, they had, wow, what was it? five writers on this screenplay seems to me there was a lot of tinkering on this and before we get into what i think i'd like to see or like to have seen out of this movie and what i'd like to see with transformers moving forward i do want to give a shout out to like the cinematography enrique i'm going to butcher his last name but enrique chediak uh i thought he did a really good job there was a lot of beautiful scenes and not even just like the the scenes with the, the big battles and stuff but you know when they're down in in peru some of the some of the landscape was just uh, amazing some of those old ancient ruins was just uh, beautiful shots I, I thought the the movie was really well shot uh the cg i thought was really good you know, you've come to expect uh, pretty good CG when it comes to these Transformers movies. And I think that's probably the one thing that uh, Michael Bay got right in, in his was that the, the CG was top quality. The action was top quality. You can't say that his movies lacked for action. And I think they continued that with with this movie. Uh, you had a lot of really good action, a lot of really good CG. I don't know if I cared enough about the story. I think this is something that should have been built up to. Uh, Unicron is a huge bad guy in the Transformers lore and the Transformers uh, story. You know, they they did a whole movie uh, based on him. And you, you can't do that just in a couple little scenes in this movie. You, you really need to establish Unicron as this big bad guy. And I, I really think there was a misstep in this because I, I don't think there is any foresight in the Transformers uh, franchise than the next movie. Uh, they're not thinking ahead and they really need to take a page out of uh, Marvel and Kevin Feige's book. This should have been an end game level type story where you have multiple stories leading up to a big final showdown with Unicron. And I don't know whether that can be done in a trilogy. At the very least, it should have been a trilogy. You should have had a movie where you're telling a story and maybe you have Megatron show up and you have Megatron die at the end. 
and maybe a PS scene where you see Unicron collecting Megatron and the the other bad guys and that that have died and turning them into Galvatron and Scourge and Cyclonus and the sweeps and all that. Hell, you don't even have to do all that. You could just have Galvatron and and Scourge and and have Scourge be the kind of a, a cross between Scourge from the uh, from the movie '86 movie and Cyclonus. Kind of have those two characters combined and and maybe some other minions, whether it be the Sweeps or, or something else. But you could have just done that. Uh, then in the next one, you have a story where you're trying to get Unicron to Earth. Maybe this story just done differently where the transwarp key is into play and you're trying to bring Unicron to Earth. And then a a third one where you have essentially Unicron is here and we have to stop him sort of situation and and have it be a big thing where you're introducing new Transformers, new Autobots on the way until it is a big like end game level event. And I think that would be cool, but but I just don't think Hasbro and the P- Michael Bay and the people behind the Transformers movies are looking at anything past what is the next movie because I'm not 100% sure they know when the next movie is going to be, uh, whether there's going to be a next movie. I know this movie may it cost about 190 to 200 million dollars to make. I, last I saw, it's made about 170 million. It's probably going to make its money back and make a tiny bit of a profit once we get into you know extended play overseas and, and all that and and then once they start you know it starts getting sold uh, as a DVD it's going to make more money that way but I, I don't see it making the huge profits that they probably were hoping that they were going to get from this two hundred million dollar you know summer blockbuster. Now I know that they do have uh, another. Transformers movie in the works, Transformers 1, which is supposed to come out sometime next year. But I don't know a lot about that movie, so I, I don't know where it falls in the landscape of what we've we've seen so far. It is supposed to be a set as like a prequel, uh, so it's kind of set in the same... I'm assuming it's set in the same continuity with Bumblebee, uh, Rise of the Beast, but I don't know much about it as to where this movie is going to go, where it's going to be set what the storyline is going to be all about. But I think Transformers deserves someone with a little more foresight to to think bigger picture. Don't just think one movie. Think of multiple movies. Like I said, this Unicron should have been a big bad guy that you lead up to. And, and they didn't do it. They just threw him in this movie just because they could. And and I I admit he looked badass. The the CG for Unicron looked great. Uh, watching him devour that planet that the Maximals were on at the beginning of the movie was, was everything I expected. A Unicron devouring a planet in, in a live action would look like. But it just seemed like it was forced... And there wasn't enough time dedicated to creating the menace behind Unicron that that should have been there, that should have been built. They built it up better in what was an hour and a half, two hours of Transformers, the movie back in 1986. And I get it, filmmakers want to tell their own story, but even a page could be taken out of the Transformers uh, War for Cybertron trilogy on Netflix, which was really good. And it took all those classic transformers uh kept the same for the most part the same personalities but change up the story and and changed up even the lore uh, a little bit you know you didn't have peter cullen as optimus prime you had another voice actor as optimus prime but it still worked because uh the characters looked like they did in the the original animated series for the most part and I, i don't understand why you can't do that with live action you know, set the Transformers, keep it in the 80s for the most part. Uh, keep it in the 80s. That way you can have all those, you know, 70s, 80s vehicles that the Transformers were originally based off of. You can still do that cool, you know, Transformer robot technology, but just make it look more like how the Transformers looked when they transformed in in real life except for ratchet and ironhide those looked horrible as as toys but uh but make them look a little more like they do in the cartoon 
Uh, I know there's a lot of toy companies out there reproducing some of these Transformers and redesigning them, making them look like they did in the cartoon. And, and they still transform into the, the cars and stuff that they were supposed to be. And they look really good. You could, you could do that with these live action versions of the Autobots and the Decepticons. Because if anything, I want to see what I grew up with as a kid on the big screen. I want to see Optimus Prime as I remember him. I want to see Bumblebee and I want to see Wheeljack and I want to see Ironhide and Ratchet and Cliffjumper and Gears and Brawn. I want to see them as I remember them, watching them on the cartoons, watching them or playing with them in my, my bedroom. And just nobody has cared enough to either stick with it very long or, or do it at all. And that that's always been a big disappointment in any of the Transformers movies that have come out over the past 16 years. Now, I do have to give them credit for the music in Transformers Rise of the Beast because uh, not not the needle drops, uh, but the score. I thought the score is really cool because they, uh, they used bits from the 2007 Transformers movie. Uh, they used some of the Unicron music from the Transformers movie back in 1986. And I thought, you know, using touches like that really give you a sense of a bigger story. Uh, than, than what you're seeing right there. And, you know, the nostalgia of it is all really nice. The needle drops in this, I thought, was a little overdone. They had some really cool ones. LL Cool J when Bumblebee came back. Uh, you know, they had Wu-Tang Clan, Tribe Called Quest, stuff like that. That was, you know, cool 90s needle drops. But then there were some scenes, especially during some of the battles, where they've got a needle drop playing. And I just wish it would have been Score. Because Score would have helped... Uh, build the emotion of the scene whereas this needle drop all i'm focusing it on is the lyrics and do the lyrics even match with what's going on and most of the time it didn't and i just i, I wish they would have cut back on some of the needle drops there were a little little too many of them so there you have it those are my thoughts on transformers rise of the beast uh not a bad movie uh, it's just a movie that I was expecting a lot more from and was hoping for a lot more from. And all the things I thought they did right with the Bumblebee movie, it, it almost felt like they took half a step back. Because for every good thing that they did with this movie, they, there was a misstep or, or something that I wish they hadn't done. And it really didn't feel like, okay, this is getting better than the Michael Bay stuff. Uh, it, it almost, you know, that step, half step back felt like it was a step back into the Michael Bay era of Transformers movies. And those movies kept getting worse with each one. Uh, I know there are some people out there that like them. There are some people out there that hate them. The earlier ones, I, I don't mind. The later ones, it just, uh, it was a, it was a trudge to get through those. And, and I don't want to see these movies, these prequel transformer movies if you will i don't want to see them get like that i don't want to see them get worse with every new one and while i walked out of the movie theater thinking ah, oh, that was okay i wanted to walk out of the movie theater loving this movie and i it just i couldn't and and that disappoints me but all in all not a horrible film not a bad film it just was a so-so film and and i wanted more out of that because i love the transformers those are one of my favorites as a kid uh, they did have a mid-credit scene where they have noah going to talk with somebody about a job and this guy knows a lot more about what he's what he's been up to with the transformers as of late and where he's been down in peru but he gives them a business card and on the business card, it says G.I. Joe. And I know they've been talking about this here and there. You, you hear things, rumors mentioned that Hasbro would like to do kind of a, a Hasbro verse where you have a lot of crossovers between Transformers, G.I. Joe, GoBots, Mask, uh, stuff like that, where you have all of these different Hasbro toy line properties and they all kind of cross over with one another that I think would be kind of cool I'm interested to see that I wasn't a big fan of the Channing Tatum Chandling Tater Tater Chandling whatever his name is I wasn't a fan of his G.I. Joe movies I wasn't a fan of the Snake Eye movies and that's one of my favorite characters uh, I, I love that character uh, I didn't like any of what they did and if they could reboot that series by <laughs> bringing it into the Transformers uh, story, 
uh, I think that would be pretty cool as well. So it would be interesting to see where we go from there if that Transformers 1 delves into G.I. Joe, kind of integrates them into the Transformers universe, the Hasbro-verse, if you will. Uh, that'll be interesting to see. But again... Uh, we'll have to wait till next year to find out what's going on with that new Transformers movie. So I want to thank everyone for listening to my thoughts on Transformers Rise of the Beasts. If you haven't watched it, please check it out and come back and see what I had to say about it. Although if you're at this stage in the game and you haven't seen it, you've probably heard what I think about it. And you've heard a lot of spoilers uh, as well. But uh, if you have watched it, hopefully you enjoyed it. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed it more than me because I, like I said, I, I'm in... I'm ambivalent about this at best. I didn't I didn't hate it. I did not like it. I liked it, but I didn't like it as much as I thought I should or, or wanted to. So check out more about what's going on with Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop on our Facebook page and Instagram. Always posting trailers to TV series and movies coming out that we're going to be talking about or, or just that uh, I think uh, would be interesting for a fan of horror, fantasy, and science fiction. Always posting articles I find from all over the internet and, and a lot of other things. So check us out on Facebook and Instagram. No matter where you're listening to this podcast, please uh, subscribe to it, follow it, like it, whatever it's called on the platform you happen to listen to and share it with anyone that you know that loves horror, fantasy, and science fiction. And as always, leave a review five stars be awesome helps us get the word out and uh, really want to get these numbers uh, built up for for our fan base and listenership so uh, you know anything you can do to help us out with that would be awesome we do appreciate that so until next time thank you for visiting odds bodkins curiosity shop we hope that you found something to your liking and visit the shop again soon but even though you may come back, you never really get to leave Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. <laughs>